Hey Westridge, this is Pastor Chris C. It has been too long since I have been with you in person. And I know it's been too long since you've been together in person. You know that I love your church. I love your pastor, Darren. Uh, I love the leadership. I love the music at your church. I wish I was there to experience it with you. I'm gonna apologize to you in advance that I'm wearing an Astros jersey. I know you're rooting on the Cubs and they're better than my Astros this year. Uh, but I'm wearing a Nolan Ryan jersey because what I want to share with you this week is a bit of a fastball. Uh, some of it could be hard to hear. I think it's really important. And I'm only sharing it with you because I love you. I really believe that God's up to something beautiful at Westridge, that he has a plan for you that's really significant. And there's so much that we get to talk about that's easy to hear. And some things are a little bit harder to catch or harder to hit and harder to hear. But in a world that's divided today, I believe that God's called you to be a part of unifying his body and people all across the globe. And I want to describe to you what I believe the church is all about and why I'm so glad that we get to be in it together. The world, I don't know if you've noticed, but when I look at my social media feed, when I turn on the news, I got to tell you, I'm depressed. I'm broken by it. Anybody ever have a family member or a coworker that just seemed to love to fight? If they weren't fighting with you, it's like they weren't alive, right? And, and they'd find a way to provoke you, right? And, and ultimately, it took you a while to figure out, like, all they want to do is fight. And, uh, and eventually, hopefully, you stop taking the bait, right? You realize, like, I, they're, they're so divisive. And I look at our culture and the ways that we're talking back and forth at each other. And, and for many of you, you go, well, he started it, right? And you could look on both sides of the political divide and you could go like, there's some people that are just instigators, right? They want to divide people. And, um, and I go, yeah, that's really, that stinks. But you know what? You've taken the bait and you've let them divide us. And so much of what I see and hear being spoken and written adds to the divisiveness. I don't have much hope that the government's gonna heal great wounds. I, I don't believe that uh, politics are the places that real change takes place in the world. When I look at racial injustice and the racial divide and bigotry and poverty and the things that are really broken in this world, when I look at those things, I, the only hope I have is for the church. I love this book written by Michael Green about evangelism in the early church. And he tells the story of how and why the church is so effective. And this is what he says that I love. He said the church had, and he's talking about the early church, qualities unparalleled in the ancient world. Nowhere else could you find slaves and masters, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, engaging in table fellowship and showing a real love for one another. He said there's no other place that that would ever happen. That love flowed to outsiders, right? people that they had no vested interest in. And in times of plague or disaster, and there's a few of those going on, fires in California, hurricanes, COVID, they're suffering everywhere. He says, in times of plague and disaster, the Christians shown by means of their service to the communities in which they lived. And he adds, nowadays the lifestyle of Christians is hard to distinguish from unbelievers. Our need for wholeness can only be met and sustained by love without strings attached. God loves like that. And the early Christians seem to have been so warmed by his love that it bound them together and flowed naturally from them. That's the people we are. We're made to be those people. You remember in Genesis 1, right? God created mankind. It says what? Imago Dei in his own image, right? He created one race, the human race. Right? But by Gen Genesis 11, sin had entered the world, 
and people had become fractured. They'd splintered into clans. Uh, they'd become different and isolated, speaking different languages, being radically different people. And then by Genesis 12, God had established a plan through Abraham that through Abraham and his children, that he would be what? You remember? This is the key part of what the gospel is about, what the Bible is about, and why Jesus came. That Abraham was to be God's vessel of love and kindness to bless who? You remember? All peoples. All people. Every ethnicity. All people. And we see at the beginning of that, instantly God began to reach out and include people like Rahab, right? A prostitute included in God's story who God used and ultimately is linked in the New Testament to the lineage of Jesus, right? And we start to see God's up to something beautiful and significant. He makes clear to us that our love is to be directed towards foreigners, immigrants, and outsiders. It's who we're made to be. I'm going to be going to my Home Depot because I've, I've just realized in a world that I haven't gotten to travel to other places uh, that I've sometimes failed to love the immigrant right around me. And you know what? If you drive by a Home Depot, you could do what I did this week. And I just went to Pollo Campero, some of the best fried chicken you're going to get anyway. If you think KFC is good, you've missed out, right? You need to get to a Pollo Campero. And when you get there, right, 100 pieces of chicken is like 100 bucks, right? And I showed up at a Home Depot with 100 pieces of chicken, and I made best friends really fast, right? And just, I got to talk to people and about how God loves them, how our church loves them, right? And Jesus was really clear, the Bible's really clear, that we love the outsiders and the immigrants. Many of you studied the book of Jonah, and you learned that God used Jonah to direct love towards people that he hated and despised and was bigoted towards. And that God did something through Jonah that he wants to do through us. And then we see Jesus show up, right? And you remember one of his most powerful scenes where we see the strength of Jesus. And he overturns the tables and the temple, right? And what does he declare? Do you remember? He says, this place, this house will be a house of prayer for all nations, for every ethnicity. I believe that God has called us to be a place and a people for all ethnicities. There's no other place in culture left like that. And so today, I want to dream a bit together about what it means to be a part of the church, the Big C Church, a place where I believe that our unity is found in diversity. I wonder, if you look at your phone today, if you look at the people that you call regularly, your last 40 phone calls, or people in your favorites, does it reflect the diversity of God's creation. In cities like Houston, Chicago, LA, New York, the most diverse cities in the United States, right? We're filled with a blending of cultures and the church is to be the one place where all of those cultures come together. As I look around the church, and the church I pastor at Ecclesia, it's a gift, right? I, I look around, and you know what my favorite thing is about our community? I, I got a long list. I got a bunch of people that love great food. When you throw a wedding, uh, your weddings are really fun. But you know what I love most in many ways about our church is that I look around and I see so many biracial families. Even within the family, we have multiple cultures coming together. Um, the church is to be that place. The, the sense that we are multiracial, multi-ethnic. It's not an add-on or an option for the church. It's the very DNA and the basis of who we are. I love this passage in Acts chapter 16. I was reading it this last year, and I had never noticed before that when the church was founded, and you do remember the first miracle for the church, right? It's found in Acts. The first miracle is that God used this gift 
that we know in, in the Bible as this gift of tongues, where the gospel and the good news of Jesus was being preached and people heard it in their own language. It was God's way of saying, I wanna reach and love all people. That's what God's up to today. And he wants to use our churches to be a part of reaching all people, bringing them together in the only place. Everywhere else you go based on what you look like, your ethnicity, your political uh, views. We're the one place that ought to have Democrats and Republicans, uh, people that are rich and poor, people of every culture, every ethnicity. In Acts 16, the church is being founded. And this particular church was founded with three founding members. Can you imagine this? If you read it in Acts 16, this is what you'll find. The first member of that church was a lady named Lydia. She sold purple cloth. She was wealthy and rich. She was Jewish. She sold purple cloth to really wealthy people. She was wealthy. All her friends were wealthy. The next member of that church, we don't even know her name. We just know she was a slave girl. She was being exploited. She was owned by a master that was profiting off of her, whatever uh, gifts that he thought she had, that ultimately uh, she had a demon cast out of her. Her life was changed. She came to faith. She became the second member of that church. We don't know her ethnicity, not likely to be Jewish. She was a trafficking victim. So we have a rich woman, a trafficking victim, and then we have uh, in this beautiful scene in a Roman prison where Paul's present, God shows up in a beautiful way, and the prison guard comes to faith. And he becomes likely a Roman soldier, a former Roman soldier. He would have been middle to upper class. Then you have this man. You've got a rich woman, a trafficking victim, and a Roman soldier, all from different cultures, different ethnicities. I'm telling you, in the ancient world, there were not places that diverse people like that came together. And the church was started with those three people, really different people. Now, if you were reading this in the time of the early church, you would have been like, what? Those three people come together and they find something in common? Yes, the thing they had in common was that Jesus had rescued all of them. And because Jesus had rescued them, they believed that Jesus was going to use them to be a part of sharing his love to rescue all people. Now, this would have sounded like an absurd joke. Uh, for us, it would be like telling a joke where you've got a rabbi, an Aggie, and Queen Elizabeth, and they all go into a bar together, right? You'd be like, what, what, where's this joke going to end? Like, what's the punchline? And here's the punchline. These three people come together, and they become a part of the greatest movement the world has ever known, that Jesus established his church to show love and grace and kindness to all people. Why do we think this kind of unity amidst diversity is important? Well, I'll tell you this, it's because Jesus said it was. This is what we hear in John chapter 17. The words of Jesus, and Jesus says it this way. He tells them as he's leaving, I will no longer be physically present in this world, but they will remain in this world. Talking about us, the believers, he's praying for us. He says, as I return to be with you, Holy Father, remain with them through your name, the name you have given me. May they be one, even as we are one. While I was physically present with them, I protected them through your name. I watched over them closely, and only one was lost. And he's talking about Judas. And he describes, I brought them together, and my main prayer to you, Father, is that your people, that my people, the church, would be established, and they would be unified. Now, if you looked at the world that we live in, if you looked at our social media feeds, if you looked at the things that we're saying, would you look right now and say, we are such a unified people? Or would you say, we take, we've taken the bait. There were some people that wanted to divide us, and we've chosen division over unity. Church, 
if we make that mistake, it will be the end for us of the vision of God's reign and kingdom here on earth. Because we believe that a kingdom is being established through the church that is for all people, that makes sure everyone has enough, and that is a beautiful gift. Now, many of you are wondering, how do we do that if we disagree so much? Well, this is what I'd love to tell you. Um, and, and one of my uh, historical mentors, Jeremiah Burroughs, has made this really clear, that agreement on core essentials in the faith is really important. Uh, I believe in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed tells us who Jesus is and who he's called us to be and what he's doing in the world. It doesn't define a lot of secondary issues, but it tells us the core things that we all agree on. If you're a Christian, then I hope and pray that you agree that Jesus is Lord. He was fully human, fully God, that he died and was resurrected to rescue all of us and that his heart and his love is for all people. And if we can agree on those things, then we're gonna to come to other places, right? Historically in the church, things like baptism, that we've just gone like, some people say you need to be baptized as an infant and some people as an adult once you believe. And we can come to an agreement that we're never going to agree on those things perfectly and that no one's right or wrong. And that together we'd say, in these secondary matters, you ought to, as Burroughs reminds me, you ought to follow your conscience. I hope and pray, whether it's baptism or whether it's this reality that there is a Christian sexual ethic, right? I, I hope you know that God created you for joy and beauty, that he gifted us things like food and pleasure and sexuality, and that how we honor him with those is really important. The Christian sexual ethic is not to do whatever you want. But I will tell you, that it's most important that you discern in scripture and with the leadership of the Holy Spirit what that Christian sexual ethic is to be for you and that you not spend your time obsessing about other people and whether they're doing what you expect from them. In fact, we've learned in recent days that most of the Christians that are obsessing with other people's failures and sins, right? We've seen it in the news. The people that are all hell bent about everybody else being wrong, that when the mirrors reflected back on them, life's pretty messy. And I'm just telling you, church, we don't want to be those people. We do want to be the people that ask the Holy Spirit to guide us to make sure we're faithful in the places that God has called us. Now that is important, and that is a gift. Burroughs reminds us that in these areas of difference, that those differences are still important. C.S. Lewis describes those moments in his book, Mere Christianity, this is in the preface, and he says it this way. When it comes to areas that we may have disagreement about, he says, I, I sometimes have been silent. He said, such silence need not mean that I myself am sitting on the fence. Sometimes I am. There are questions at issue between Christians to which I do not think we have been told the answer, right? If, if you're one of these Christians that thinks you know the answer to everything, right? Uh, you annoy everyone, right? We, we, don't, we don't know the answer to everything. Um, we can do our best to discern. Lewis says he was pretty smart. I don't know if you think you're smarter than C.S. Lewis. I'm definitely not. And he said, there are things we just don't know the answer. And he says, if I asked them in a better world, I might, for all I know, be answered as a far greater questioner was answered. What is that to thee? Now, some of us want to know the answer to what this, is this right or that right? Or what, and, and Lewis just says it well, like, what if, what if God responded to us? Like, is that your problem? Is that your issue? 
And I want to encourage you, the most important things would be working on your issues, my issues of pride or stubbornness, selfishness, areas that I need to say, God, will you help me loosen my hand to be more generous and kind? And he says, Jesus would say this, right? Follow thou me. He says, but there are other questions as to which I am definitely on one side of the fence and yet say nothing. For I was not writing to expound something I could call my religion, but to expound what he describes as mere Christianity. Again, one of the best books you could ever read. Which is what it is and what it was long before I was born, whether I like it or not. We're made, church, to be a part of a humble Christianity. One that is uh, passionate about the things we believe most. Who Jesus is. Who he's called us to be. His heart for all people. Again, some things are clear in the Bible. We're to love immigrants. You may or may not join me at Home Depot. Again, you don't have to join me. You can go to Pollo Campero yourself, show up and share some chicken or some hamburgers, and you'll make friends just like I did. And you get to tell them what I get to tell them. I'm praying for you. And I get to pray and bless the chicken, right? And getting to pray for brothers and sisters in need, that, that's what I'm made to do. It's what you're made to do. There's some things in the Bible that are clear. Caring for immigrants and foreigners, to welcome them in our own home as honored guests. This is who we're made to be. The Bible is clear. Other things are not clear, Lewis reminds us. So what are we to do? In a world, church, where I feel like everyone is looking for opportunities to cut people out of their lives. Have you noticed that lately? People are looking and saying, you're not describing how lives matter in the same way I do, so you're out, right? And I got to tell you, this is not who we are. We're a people not looking for places that we disagree with people so that we can cut them out of our lives and decide you don't believe what I believe, so we're in different places. We're the opposite as Christians. We're the people looking for anything we have in common. And when we find that one thing we have in common, which I hope and pray is who Jesus is, who he's called us to be, we can disagree on politics. We can disagree on economics. We can disagree on the best way uh, to keep families and people safe amidst COVID. We can disagree on all of that. But if we have common ground, we ought to find that agreement and we ought to cooperate to do the most important things in the world. Nobody else is doing that. You're not going to go to your country club and find a group of people that say, hey, let's look for places that we agree and then cooperate. This is a church thing. This is a Jesus thing. So can I give you a simple assignment as we go for the week? This is what I'd like to invite you to do. Would you agree this week to pray a simple prayer and just ask God each day, God, would you help me to be curious, kind, and teachable? And in those places, to seek out others that may be different than me. Their ethnicity, their culture, their beliefs, all may be different. And I gotta tell you, church, that God has made us to be the kind of curious, insightful, kind, and loving people that bring a totally different perspective to this world and culture. Would you shut down your social media feed for a while if you feel like you need to express opinions that will divide? Will you resist taking the bait of politicians and TV personalities that want to divide us further? And would instead you look for opportunities to find common ground to bring people together around the things that matter most? I got to tell you, church, I believe, I know this is a bit of a fastball. It's coming at you fast, and I hope you can hear it and receive it. But I want to be a part of a community, a big church in Houston and Chicago and all across the globe, in New York and Singapore and Buenos Aires and Venezuela 
in places all across the globe that say, we love Jesus, and because we love Jesus, we're going to bring all people together because there's nowhere else but the church that's called to being a multi-ethnic, multicultural body of people that cooperate and work together for the greater good of the world. May we each seek to be kind, curious, and teachable. Let me say a prayer for you as we go. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of the Big C Church, a church that says we love all people. In fact, we're curious about the things we can learn from other people that may be different than us, and maybe we don't have it all right. Maybe, as Lewis says, there are things to which we just don't have the answer yet, and that's okay. I pray that in that humility, that our churches could be the unique force in the world that bring all people together for a greater good. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.